if you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Now today on Horse Chats, we've got Dr. Rolly Owers again. Dr. Rolly Owers is the Chief Executive of World Horse Welfare, and we've had him on before. We had him at um, number 681, and we've got now 700, which is a pretty important episode. And Dr. Rolly Owers is going to talk to us today about social licensing, which is, I think, in this day and age, as we go throughout the world and we learn more and we compete more and we tell people how wonderful we are because we're getting our horses to jump higher and do fancy things around the dressage arena. We also have the other side of it, and that's the social licensing, and he's going to talk to us today. Very important message, I think, for anyone with horses. But before we do that, I just want to have a quick chat about International Horse College and remind people about the values of International Horse College, and that's horse welfare and safety, and they're of utmost importance when humans have any interactions with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans, and we only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers in all our courses. Have a look, internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Now, Dr Rowley Owens, how are you today? Very well, Glenn. It's great to speak to you and a, and a pleasure and a real honour to be number 700. Yes, yes. You know, we try and keep the hundreds, the round numbers for someone important and especially World Horse Welfare is important, but the message you've got is particularly important to people. So can you just tell us a little bit about, you know, I'm talking about social licensing and for people that haven't heard of social licensing, how can you explain that just in a couple of sentences or, you know, I mean, explain it well enough so that people understand what social licensing is all about? Well, the social license concept is is nothing new. It's been around for over 200 years. Mm-hmm. But people probably understand if they think of the mining industry in the 1990s, there was great, huge scandals and concerns around, you know, the safety of miners going underground. And there was a number of sort of public emergencies around that. And of course, then there was the growing environmental concern about what mining was doing to our, our planet. And so then a lot of the more enlightened mining companies realised that they had to invest in their social license. And what that is, it's an unwritten, it's non-legally binding contract between society and in this case, the mining companies. And it's a, it's a social license. It's not licensed to operate because if they don't have that, if they don't have the support of the public, then they will find it very difficult, if not impossible, to operate. And that is exactly the same for horse sport. Mm-hmm. And to agree, horse leisure. We can only continue and have a thriving future for horse sport if it has a social license to operate. And that, at the heart of it, is about showing the public that horse sports behave ethically. It's about building trust. It's about being transparent. And so it's not about mob rule. It's not about saying the public says this, so we have to do it. But it's being about aware of what the public's concerns are, not ignoring them, and where we need to make changes to make changes. 
Okay. Yes, and you talked about the mining industry and we're bringing it across to horse riding, horse sport. So just explain a little more about the relevancy and just how it's relevant to horse riding and horse sport. Certainly. I mean, the key is we live in a changing world. Mm -hmm. What happened 50 years ago, 20 years ago, even last year, people and society thinks differently. And the reality is now we have a, a society which thinks far more carefully about the environment, but it also thinks far more carefully about animal welfare. And so when we use horses in sport... And, you know, by using that, we are, we're taking horses and we're using them for entertainment. That puts a responsibility on those involved in horse sport to show that they behave ethically and to build their social license. But the reason it's relevant is because the social license is about two things. It's about doing the right things by our horses. So the care, the training, the latest research, making sure we're doing the right thing. But then it's also about telling people about that because we live in a world where you've got reality and you've got perception and sometimes they can be very very different and so the public can think one thing when in fact the reality is very very different and so what we, what social license concept shows to people in hospital is you can't ignore that you can't just say the public are wrong we're going to carry on doing the way what we're doing um for, for the foreseeable future you've got to recognize that the public has a real issue with a given uh, part of your sport, and then you've got to be able to tackle that. Sometimes it's through making changes to how you treat and manage our horses. Sometimes it's a communications thing. It's about telling people and making sure people understand and trying to educate people. So it's a real combination of that, sort of doing the right thing and being seen to do the right thing. Okay, I think that makes it quite clear to people, not just doing the right thing, being seen to do the right thing. And probably the second one is, yeah, just as important. But but if we're yeah. going to lose our social license, right, so we talk about the possibility of losing a social license, what would that look like if we lost our social license? Well, actually, yeah, I mean, it's a very good question. And I, I, I'd answer it slightly differently. Is it possible to lose your social license? And the okay. answer is absolutely yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I think Australia actually provides a very, very good example. If you look at the greyhound industry in Australia, it is still going, but indeed in one state for a while, it was banned. And that is the ultimate failure. If you lose your social license, then government will get involved and they will dictate what you can and can't do. And I think most people recognise that that's not a position you want to get to. Once government gets involved, then your ability to, to manage your future is significantly restricted. And so in the greyhound world in Australia, there is a belief that there was growing public concern about what happened to greyhounds once they came off the racetrack and the aftercare of those animals. And the greyhound industry uh, is largely believed to have ignored that growing concern. And that concern came to a clamour and a clamour came to the politicians and the politicians then acted. Now, we believe that if the greyhound industry, which it is now, Mm-hmm. Um, had acted earlier, they could have stopped that uh, because they could have prevented their social license being lost, where society said, effectively said, we do not accept what is happening to greyhounds once they leave the racetrack. And that was said very, very clearly. And so, yes, it is 
possible to lose your social license. As you can see in national hunt racing in Australia, that you know that's come under real pressure. But it's not just an Australian thing. This is a global thing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and an issue that we're grappling with in the UK, in the US, across Europe. So it is very much a global. And, so, and in part, that's because of the world of social media. Okay. Okay. Now, everyone talks about equine welfare. Certainly we do. You know, as the, the International Horse College, you know, we talk about equine welfare, motto, mission, vision, values. It's all about equine welfare and safety. And if you talk to 99.9% of horse people, they will say, my horse is well cared for, I abide by, you know, all the equine welfare principles. But if you were going to talk about and bringing you on as the executive director of the World Horse Welfare Organisation. What is equine welfare? So the first thing, well, straight answer to the question, it's physical and mental health and okay. happiness. That, okay. is what, that is what welfare is and that's what it is, what equine yes. welfare Yes, yes, so, okay. And so that's the first point. The second point is that our understanding of welfare is changing. Like any science understanding, you know, research shows us we get to understand more about how horses learn, how they behave, and the signs that they're telling us. So when people talk about, I look after my animal well, they're more often than not talking about their physical welfare. Mm -hmm. And that's very understandable because when we have the five freedoms, which has probably been the biggest guide for us, you can see that. But it's an understanding that good Good welfare is evolving. It's understanding that actually good welfare is as much about the mental well-being of the animal than its physical uh, welfare. And the overall objective of, of good equine welfare is to give horses a good life. You know, we talk about a life worth living or mm-hmm. a life not worth living. But actually, you want to rise above that. You want to give your horse a good life. And it, and that's based, on, which we'll talk about, on the horse-human partnership, our partnership with horses. So it's not simply about a avoiding uh, negative experiences, which is what the five freedoms talk about, freedom from hunger, freedom from discomfort. It's not just about uh, avoiding negative experiences. It's about providing positive experiences too. And that's that's the nub of our understanding, of our changing understanding of equine welfare and, and really does actually challenge us quite a lot. All right. So the five freedoms, you know, and you talked about not being the negative. Tell us about the five provisions. What are the five provisions? And how are they different to the five freedoms? Well, they, were, they, they evolve from it. So mm-hmm. the five provisions, the five domains evolve from the five freedoms. And, you know, the five freedoms came to us in the 1960s. They have transformed animal welfare, especially farmed animal welfare, over the years and have fulfilled a brilliant role. But I guess the message, part of the message from today is the fact that, you know, they've had their day. We need to move on from the five freedoms. Yeah. And the five domains, it's very much based on the, on, on the five freedoms because you've still got the issues of nutrition, health, behaviour and environment. So they're the sort of the major bases of the five domains. There are four of them. So we want to talk about good nutrition. Uh, So it's not about freedom from first, but it's about providing good quality water. So Mm -hmm. you can see it's turning a negative and saying, okay, it's not avoiding that, but what actually do you need? So for each of those around, but each of those areas, good health, good nutrition, good environment, good behaviour, feed into the mental state of the horse. So the four, if you can imagine it, you 
you've got the four around the outside and you've got the mental state of the horse in the middle. And that's the sum of the parts. So you can see that from each of those different areas, it needs to have positive experiences and therefore it's going to have a good quality of life. And just to, at the risk of repeating myself, it, it's about mental well-being being at least, if not more important, than the physical welfare of the animal. Yes, yes. Okay, okay. Now, I know you've also talked about the three Fs. So what do we mean yes. by the three Fs? You know, just sort of like we talk about these things, you know, we've talked about the five freedoms in the 1960s and then, you know, five domains, but the three Fs, can you talk about that? Because sometimes people do tend to shorten things, but if we don't have that depth of knowledge that you, you're providing now, then it um, yeah, absolutely. gives us a bit of an overview rather than really getting into it. So the, the three S is just a different sort of way of looking at the five provisions. Okay. And what it what it does, it recognises where horses have come from. And I think we've got to think from an evolutionary point of view. Horses graze the plains in groups. And so the three Fs refer to freedom, friends and forage. So when we think about our management of our horses today, how much freedom are we giving them? How much forage are we giving them? How much friendship? Now, forage is relatively easy. We we all, we know that horses are grazing animals, and you know naturally they would graze for at least seventeen hours a day. So many people understand the importance of having good quality forage that they can feed on a lot of the time. Now, equine obesity is another matter which we could talk about on a separate <laughs> day. But so we clearly need to be mindful of that. But yeah. we've got to be aware of where horses are. Naturally, that's what their system. Systems that are, are are made for have evolved for. So that's forage. Freedom is, you know, they do they graze over large large areas, and so horses their their ability and their needs to be able to move, to be able to roll uninhibited, is really important to their mental state. Mm -hmm. And finally, friendship. Horses are live in groups. They are. We know, um, although. I think it's important to say we recognise horses are individuals. And so whilst I'm always very wary of comparing horses with people because you don't want to impose human values on horses, not least because what we're just talking about here, but they do require friendship. And therefore, that is really important in how we manage them on a day-to-day -day basis. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, we've talked about the five provisions, five freedoms, three Fs, but What's the foundation of the social licensing in equestrianism? If we can talk a bit about that. Yeah. Just give us a little bit more about the foundation of the social licensing, what we're looking at there. Absolutely. So it, uh, what we're looking at is from the, the, the five provisions and the, and, the, and the free Fs and everything we've talked around mm. there, it's about challenging the way we're doing things now. And this obviously comes to the heart of the status quo. Are we doing the right things by our horses? And it is about challenging the status quo, the way we've done things. Just because we've managed a horse and trained a horse for decades this way doesn't make that way necessarily right, especially in the light of new research. So at the foundation of the social license is the horse-human partnership. It is us working with horses as a partnership. And the word partnership is really important there because that means it's two-way. And so we need to understand our horses and therefore that requires knowledge and experience and compassion. And we've got, yeah, so you've got to really sort of understand your horse. And it's about 
almost around language. And, you know, there's research being done now about tacking horses up and, you know, how, how they can resist that. And sometimes we've just put that down to being a naughty horse. You know, but actually it's not a naughty horse. It's a horse that potentially is in pain. And therefore we need to understand why and resolve that. And this, you know, in terms of having an effective horse-human partnership, if you're talking about horse sport, is really important because, you know, unless we get the best out of our horses, they are not going to perform to their best. So you're certainly going to get better, shorter term success by having a sound and solid and good horse-human partnership, but also longer term, you know, horses that come out of horse sport, once their athletic, their sort of elite athletic career is over, they will have a much better prognosis. They'll be able to go into second careers, whether these are racehorses or or from elite horse sport, and they will have a long-term future as a, a lower-grade sport horse, as a leisure horse. And so it's all about that sort of understanding our horses and getting the best from them um, and then that the, that partnership then, if, when we start talking about a horse-human partnership and not just people riding horses, that forms the basis of how we can communicate about horse sport to the general public in a way that is very tangible, very understandable and very justifiable. Stop. I need to interrupt this chat for a hot-off-the-press notification. That is, that the latest version of the book, 101 Careers in the Horse Industry, is now available and the best news is that it's a free download. So if you work in the horse industry, if you have a plan to work in the horse industry and have a career in the horse industry, or if you know someone who plans to have a career in this fabulous industry, then this is an essential book for you to read now and then keep as a reference as you progress through your career. With over 100 jobs to choose from, you'll probably find at least one that you'd happily do without being paid. So simply go to internationalhorsecollege.com, scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on the 101 careers in the horse industry button to receive your free career book. Imagine, maybe one day you could be a guest on Horse Chats. Okay. okay. Now I'm thinking, I always learn more, you know, case studies, practical examples. Can you describe any practical examples of social license in equestrianism? Yeah, um, certainly. I mean, I, I can do four very quick ones. I'm not okay, quite good. sure yeah. how the, 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 the situation in Australia, but the first one is riding on roads. You know, certainly in many parts of the world, horse riding on roads is it's very dangerous. You know, um, a, a horse safety and rider safety is a real challenge. And what we need to understand is that for many people, because we lived in an increasing urbanized society, we live in a, a society which has less and less contact with uh, the, the rural countryside, you know, for many people, driving in cars and coming in contact with horses on roads is um, is the, about the only interaction they'll have with horses in their in their life in their daily life and so how riders the and rider etiquette on the road if, if they are polite to a driver as he slows down um, that uh, will be mean that that rider driver is more likely to um, be uh, aware of future riders they meet on the road so it's it that that's one example. It might be slightly lateral for some, but one that will, the second one that will come far more obvious is the whip. Now we and it's, this is actually especially thinking about racing, but not just racing. But we know from research across the world, the public really 
don't like the whip. Um, and this, uh, th- this is far more we accept a perception issue than a reality issue, because in horse racing, for example, the use of the whip is often not an equine welfare issue, um, but it certainly, most certainly can be. But we need to uh, get to a point where we can justify the use of the whip to make try and make horses go faster to the public. And our view is increasingly that that is an unjustifiable thing to do. The, the public simply won't accept uh, the use of the whip for encouragement in racing. And that, again, we could talk about that separately. Uh, we've, I mentioned um, obesity, equine obesity, and that is a real thing because the public is certainly becoming more aware about horse health. And we recognise that fat is certainly not fabulous when we come to, to comes to equine health. But so that's one aspect. And it's very difficult for vets, for example, to have discussions with with their clients around the weight, because in many ways, the client, the, the, the owner is is doing is trying to do the right thing. They're ending up doing the wrong thing, but they're trying to do the right thing. So that mindset is is quite difficult sometimes to change. But also you've got rider weight as well. And there is a growing concern, certainly from the public, around, you know, riders who are mismatched to their horses. They are overweight for that animal. This is not about stopping people riding, but it is trying to get people to understand the importance both for equine welfare, but also for the future of uh, equine leisure and sport for uh, riders to be matched to that to, to, to appropriately to that animal and then the final example and then i'll be quiet is um is one for the vets you know how are we the routine interventions you know if we think of in the racing world um the amount of wind operations that are undertaken certainly in horse sport and horse racing the amount of joint medication you know we've got to almost to a position where we're treating problems and not trying to prevent them and that means there's a real challenge to the vet and owner or trainer relationship because the vet's obviously primarily there for the animal to protect the health and welfare of the animal. And I think at times that balance um, of that relationship means it's quite difficult to ethically justify that to, to the public. So they're four very brief examples. I probably haven't done any of them justice, uh, but I hope that gives a flavour of of what we're talking about. Oh, I think so. I think so. I think that, um, you know, even just that riding on the road and and a bit of a friendly wave to people, certainly a lot better than, you know, swearing at someone because they go past too fast. But, yeah, yeah, I think that's something that, well, we can all work on, you know. I think there's quite a few there, and I think it's, it's enough to get people thinking. And, you know, we've talked about communication with the public. It seems obvious that we should communicate with the public, but why is it so important? And a bit of how as well. So, absolutely. So, as you rightly say, it, it is so important. We live in a, a world of communication. Mm. So it is fundamentally important. And as we talked earlier, social license about doing the right thing, but being seen to do the right thing. And we get seen to do the right thing through how we communicate. So, you know, World Horse Welfare, we talk about responsible use of horses in sport. So 
that term use is very one way. We use horses, sounds very hard. And that's effectively, at the start, is what we do. But what we're talking about here is we've got to develop that one-way relationship to being very much two-way. So it's horse to human and human to horse. And that's where the horse-human partnership becomes so important. And we believe that's how you can articulate that ethical basis for horse sport, showing that it's a balanced relationship, that it's really teamwork and not exploitation. It's showing that horses, as I mentioned earlier, are individuals. So, you know, some will be quirky, um, some will have underlying issues that need to be resolved, but we need to recognise what our horses like and what our horses dislike and be able to read that those signs much better. And so that's part of it. But the more challenging part of it, I think, is for us to look at horse sport through a different lens, because that's what most the general public do if we think of i mean this is simplifying it horribly you have those who are very much involved in the sport and so they're on one end of the scale you have the antis the the animal rights that you know the people who passionately believe that any use of horses is exploitation and that horses belong in fields now you're unlikely to be able to convince many of those maybe some but then you've got most of the general public in the middle and they're sort of what we describe as ambivalent or agnostic about horse sport they're not that bothered they go around their daily lives and it doesn't really impact on them until they see these horrible headlines for example in australia you know the abc program last year of you know racehorses ending up in an abattoir and being treated in abysmal conditions mm. so the that's the interaction that they have. So it's a matter of looking at it through a different lens, talking about that horse-human partnership, but also, and a really sort of graphic example, which I hope you don't mind me using, in the world of horse racing, quite rightly, there's a real focus on catastrophic injuries and fatalities on the race course. And there's some really good work being done globally to decrease that level because, you know, any fatality is unacceptable. You can't simply accept that. But you've got to be very careful about how you reflect that in in how we communicate about it. Because to be very blunt, to justify your sport by saying we killed less horses this year than we did last year would come across very, very, would jar Mm-hmm. Very understandably, horribly with um, the with the public, and another an initiative that you see not just in racing, but um, this is a UK example. We've had for many years the horse comes first initiative, and that within racing, and it's been some really good initiatives within that and actions within that. But again, you need to stand back and say, if you're a member of the general public who's agnostic or ambivalent about horse racing, to say the horse comes first. They would say, well, of course it should come first. You're using the horse for entertainment and sport. So they would say that that's a minimum. What else are you doing? So I just think when we stand back and look at the, the way we've communicated about the sport or racing, I think we can say, you know, in hindsight, and obviously it's always much easier to say in hindsight, we could have done a lot better and we can do a lot better. It's in about basing it around that horse-human partnership, but and it's not treating the public as uneducated or stupid or any. Absolutely not. It's treating them with respect, but also understanding that many people have not had that interaction with horses, and we need to be mindful of that and how we communicate. Mm-hmm. So much to think about to go away and and as you say, look at the whole social licensing. Look at it through a different lens. Now, all of the points that you've said. 
are very important. But sometimes, you know, if I go away and think of things, I can think of three things. You know, I've got more than that many fingers on my, on my hand. But yeah. if I think three things, if I said, what are the most important things about what you've just said? What, you know, the main three points, what would you say? So I would say the first one is that it, there's a collective responsibility. And by that, we mean it's not just the rider or the owner or the groom or the vet or the feed merchant. When we think about the equine sector, it's a very big sector across the world. Uh, and so it, it's, it's all of our responsibility. It's a collective responsibility to understand and implement the social license. Um, and I think that's what we, that, that's the first thing, to understand what it means, understand the broad basis. It's about doing the right thing about horses, by our horses, but also communicating about it. Um, the second point is is probably the most difficult, and that's it, the, the basis of the social license is about challenging the status quo. So we talk a lot about horses being overstabled, being isolated, the way we're training them. So you, we've got to, over the course of uh, the next few weeks, months and years, we have to really challenge the way we're doing things and making changes. And so actually, you know, it is possible in most management systems to give horses some turnout. It may only be in a sand menage or sand in a riding school. It may, it may be in restricted areas, but we've got to understand a bit more about the mental well-being of our animals and trying to amend our management systems to fulfil those mental needs. So challenging the status quo, as, and with the various examples as I gave, is, is tricky. Um, and, and change is always difficult. And I think we would say that the uh, equestrian world is somewhat small c conservative generally. And we really need to shake that up a bit and actually um, challenge the way we're doing things. And then the third aspect is what we talked about latterly. It's about understanding our individual responsibilities as a collective in terms of how we communicate and how we talk about all sports because it is a global phenomenon social media means what happens in one part of a country can be around the world in seconds and so there is that communications piece about making sure that we are fulfilling our responsibility to to the horse human partnership but also to the so social license and and the communication and the and above all the reputation of our sport that we hold so dear because it, as we've talked earlier if if we don't take these points on board you know it makes the future of horse sport very very challenging and that's something none of us want we want a bright future for horse sport so the social license is very much there to help that become a reality mm -hmm. wow so much so much to think about and you know that whole challenging the status quo you think that everything you're doing is fine but you've got to come and look at it with that different um different lens and just I suppose take it from someone else's point of view and how are they looking at it and what are they seeing and this is this is not just equestrianism you know this is just not we not talked about it, it's everyone everyone that looks after horses everyone that breeds horses everyone that's even got a horse yeah. out in the paddock paddock because we're in australia but you know you, you call the field um yeah but even so you know i mean we have phone calls you know your horses 
drowning in the dam, well, they're just going for a bit of a paddle and a swim. But, you know, it, yeah. it just goes to show that the general public are concerned. They want to look over and see horses in the paddock happy and grazing, you know, things like that. And, and they're happy to, to tell us if, you know, if there's something going wrong. Um, they have Definitely. to let us know. So we've got to take it, not just say, oh, silly people, horses just having a role, but we've got to think of it from their point of view. Yeah. Definitely. And it's and one final, it, I mean, Rome wasn't built in a day. So this mm. is not a question of people going, God, everything I'm doing is wrong. It's about doing some some of the changes that we're talking about or the challenge, you know, challenging that. Th- those can be very small changes. Mm-hmm. You know, clearly, you know, some of them are, are much bigger and they're longer term. But it's a matter of moving towards the direction of travel. Uh, and so you can make some small, medium, long term changes. And that's what it's all about. It's not yeah. all about throwing everything up in the air and saying, oh, all right, sure, because it's not. Sure. Yep, yep. All right, Rolly. Now, World Horse Welfare, people can contact you through there. Is that right? Worldhorsewelfare.org. That's right. Yep, yep. And those details also will be on um, horsechats.com. If you go to the search bar, you can search for Dr. Rolly Owers or you can search for World Horse Welfare and you'll get that as well. Or go to World Horse Welfare and there's quite a lot more. You know, there's lots of advice, there's news, there's ways that you can support World Horse Welfare uh, on the worldhorsewelfare.org site. And I, I just think, look, it's really good reading. Go there, have a read, you know, go over and challenge yourself. You know, there's lots here to go and learn about horse care, looking after the horse and making sure you're doing the right thing. And I think everyone should be thinking about this whole social licensing. And as I said, it's not just for someone that's even riding horses or or whatever. It's anyone that's got anything to do with horses, um, the social licensing. And it's important. And that's why we've made this, you know, episode 700. I think it's it's just a very important uh, subject to go over. So, um, Rolly, I've got to say thank you for your time again. You know, it's been been very good talking to you, um, very important, and we'd love to see you back again. You know, you talk about equine obesity, that's another chat in itself, use of the whip, that's another chat in itself, and we're certainly happy to talk to you anytime. So um, stay in touch and we'll hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon. Glennis, thank you so much. It's great to talk to you and look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses, or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 